The following content contains discussions of adult subject matter, including sexual abuse, and is intended for adult consumption only. It may not be suitable for all audiences. Therefore, discretion is advised. Loey, today I want to present you with a little bit of a thought experiment. We've covered a lot of urban legends from all across the internet before, ranging from mundane rumors about video games to more outlandish theories about cryptids existing in everyday life. So that leads me to the question, how would you feel if something were labeled as an urban legend or a conspiracy theory for decades, only to be revealed as a cold, hard fact? Oh my god, bestie, I feel so validated. It's always fun to talk about the various mysteries that exist across the internet, across the world, on TikTok, YouTube, Reddit, wherever. But if any of the stories that I genuinely want to believe in turned out to be true, it would feel really good. It would feel like we knew the tea. One of the things that's really surprised me over the nearly 100 episodes we've done for this show is that there's at least a tiny kernel of truth in a lot of the stories we cover. This ranges from, say, a cryptid turning out to be just a man in a blurry photo to those things that sound too strange to be real but always were, like Colonel Sanders shooting a man or the Akali sex raft. I know exactly what you mean. One thing we don't really cover too often, though, are stories that begin their life on the internet by being slandered as conspiracy theories. But in some dramatic twist, they very publicly become revealed as cold, hard truth. Loey, I have to know, do you know about the conspiracy theory that Michael Jackson composed the music for Sonic the Hedgehog 3, but remained uncredited for various reasons? Even today, Sonic's publisher Sega, which I like biologically can't stop myself from calling Sega, denies that Michael Jackson's music is in the game. But there's so much evidence that's built up that it doesn't even feel fair calling it a conspiracy theory. Today, let's dive into that conspiracy, the one about how a Sonic 3 internet urban legend turned out to be a true story. Welcome to Internet Urban Legends, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Loie, your friendly neighborhood true believer, and I have been your friendly neighborhood true believer as this is the 100th recorded episode of IUL. Woo! Woo! Our baby is turning a hundy. And I am Eleanor, your mm, shadow, shadow the hedgehog. <laughs> I don't know why my voice just dropped like three octaves to reveal that information, but this is deep-seated. We're getting deep intimate <laughs> on IUL today, guys. IUL girlies in their furry eras for the 100th episode. Uh, I, it is more likely than you may think. There's so much to say. <laughs> there's so much to say. There's so much to reveal. Together, we are the Gruesome Twosome, and this is Internet Urban Legends, where we dive deep into the darkest corners of the internet. We might find the answers we're looking for. We might stay up all night in our fursuits. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> One thing is for sure, I trust you guys. I'm glad you guys are here. Today's a doozy. Today we'll be diving into the mystery of whether the king of pop himself, Michael Jackson, secretly made the soundtrack to the king of platformer games, Sonic the Hedgehog 3. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to the early days of at-home video games, there were not many as big in the 90s as Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is a series of platforming games created and owned by Sega. The games follow Sonic, a blue hedgehog who battles the evil Dr. Eggman, or Dr. Robotnik in some versions. Eggman is a mad scientist, and Sonic beats him by running as fast as he can. He's gotta go fast. And he defeats the powers of evil by simply being the fastest boy around. And Sonic the Hedgehog is one of the best-selling video game franchises of all time, selling over 140 million games by 2016 and making over $6 billion by 2020. It's a huge, huge franchise. Even if the series has had its ups and downs in popularity over the years, there's no mistaking how iconic Sonic, as both a character and a franchise, was and is, but especially in the 90s. But there was one person in the 90s who had already been established as an icon, arguably even bigger than Sonic or Mario. We are talking about the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Now, obviously, I I don't have to say too much, but Michael Jackson was, and even still is, regarded as one of the most significant cultural figures of the 20th century, for better or for worse. I think Michael Jackson is like the definitive household name Mm, to me. When yeah. I think household name, I think Michael Jackson or like maybe even Michael Jordan. <laughs> I don't know. The two Michaels. Yeah. The two. Honestly, yeah, dude. Like every single person would know both of their names, actually. So for over four decades, Michael Jackson's contribution to music and dance and fashion made him a superstar across the globe with an estimated sales of over 400 million records worldwide. And by the early 90s, Jackson was at his peak. He had renewed his contract with his label Sony for an at the time record-breaking $65 million, which he followed up by putting out the album Dangerous. Today, that album has sold 32 million copies worldwide. So here we are with two titans of the 90s, seemingly quite unrelated to each other. I mean, there is no pipeline that is as confusing as the Michael Jackson to Sonic 3 pipeline. So what do they even have in common? Well, in the early 2000s, a boy named Ben Mallinson posted a conspiracy theory to a Sonic message board stating that he believed Michael Jackson had secretly composed the soundtrack to 1994's Sonic the Hedgehog 3. At first, the theory mostly hinged on the idea that Michael Jackson's Jam, the lead song from Dangerous, sounded a lot like the soundtrack to Sonic 3's Carnival Night Zone. The teenager's post immediately captivated the community of blues, which is what Sonic superfans are referred to. What are shadow superfans referred to then? Mm. Riddle me that, internet. Snitches. Snitches, yeah. One of the same. 
Soon, the Blues discovered other eerie similarities between Jackson's music and Sonic 3's soundtrack. First, it was discovered that the Michael Jackson song, Stranger in Moscow, sounded exactly like the Sonic 3 ending credits. Then, it was discovered that a good portion of Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal shares chord structures similar to Sonic 3's Ice Cap Zone Act 1. Even other songs, like one of the boss themes, contained examples of woo and come on, sounds that were like characteristic of Michael Jackson's music. But for the first few years, this theory that Michael Jackson wrote Sonic 3's soundtrack was just that, a theory. People finding similarities between Michael Jackson's music, Sonic 3's music, and just wondering if they were onto something. But in September of 2005, the Blues caught a bit of a break when one of them interviewed a man named Roger Hector. Hector was actually the executive coordinator of the Sega team that developed Sonic 3. And in this interview, Hector dropped a bombshell. He confirmed that Sega had actually worked with Michael Jackson to develop the soundtrack to Sonic 3, but had scrubbed all of the tracks from the game. Now, Hector thought that addressing the conspiracy theory would calm the fans down, but obviously, this is the internet and this is the Sonic fandom, so the opposite (laughs) happened. Because this was all he said and because he refused to elaborate further, the mystery grew deeper for fans. If Jackson's songs weren't in the game, why did the soundtrack still sound so much like a Michael Jackson album? And why would Sega have worked with a legendary superstar like Michael Jackson, who I'm sure was not cheap, only to scrap his work. This would have been a huge collaboration for any video game company, but for Sega, who was really put on the map by games such as Sonic 3 and Sonic & Knuckles, this was a huge, huge collaboration. So the fact that it was just quietly kind of scrubbed from the record and never referenced again was bizarre to fans. So on March 21st, 2006, Sonic fan James Hansen, one of the blues, I guess, posted a video to a brand new website. You may have heard of it. It's called YouTube. And this was a video outlining all of the evidence he could find of Michael Jackson working on Sonic 3. This actually became one of the very first, like, truly viral videos, getting over 1 million views in just a couple of months. And just like that, there was a new interest in this conspiracy theory beyond the dedicated group of blues who were interested in it before. And in so many cases, this is probably where this story would end. The internet is lit ablaze by an interesting theory, people obsess over it for a few months, and then obviously everyone moves on. But this story was about to take a different turn completely. Just a few years after James Hansen's viral video, a mountain of evidence supporting the theory would be unearthed changing the story behind this strange mystery forever. Up next, we'll be talking about all the evidence uncovered over the years and the curious case of Michael Jackson's Sonic 3 soundtrack. Hi listeners, it's Sarah from Disappearances. For years, I have been fascinated by a troubled adventure in 1959 that left nine Soviet hikers dead and the world scratching their heads. Now, I've teamed up with Carter Roy and Cold Cases to look at the theories, comb through the facts, and fit together the missing pieces of the Dyatlov Pass incident. If you love a good mystery, this episode is for you. Follow Disappearances to catch our exploration into the Dyatlov Pass today. Listen for free only on Spotify. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Over the years, the interest in this theory only gained popularity. And a dedicated community of blues kept investigating, making theory videos, and piling on more and more evidence of this Michael Jackson theory. In 2009, the French magazine Black and White interviewed Brad Buxer, who was Michael Jackson's musical director at one point. Brad was actually credited on the Sonic 3 soundtrack and told Black and White that Jackson had worked on the game with him and other listed composers. Unlike Roger Hector, who kept things quite vague, Brad Buxer said something that fueled the theory a bit more. He said that he's never played the game, so, quote, I do not know what tracks on which Michael and I have worked that the developers have kept. Hmm. 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 Suspicious. And just a few years later, the Blues received the definitive proof that they had been looking for since 2003 in the form of an article on the Huffington Post. This article confirmed a number of details the community had spitballed for years and even threw in previously unknown information as well. The story goes like this. One evening in early 1993, Michael Jackson visited the Sega Technical Institute in Palo Alto. This wouldn't be too unusual for the otherwise top-secret facility. Sega had a long-standing relationship with Michael, since the two had released the game Moonwalker based on a Michael Jackson movie back in 1990. Shortly after the game's release, Michael was given an advanced copy of Sonic the Hedgehog and became obsessed. While Michael was on tour of the facility, one of the Sonic 3 developers asked, maybe jokingly, maybe half-seriously, whether Michael Jackson would like to write the music for the new game. Now, it's worth mentioning that what happened next isn't exactly clear. Sega has maintained for years that they never worked with Michael Jackson on Sonic 3, and they told the Huffington Post they were, and I quote, not in the position to respond to questions about allegations to the contrary. But the men Sega credited with writing the music say otherwise. Three of those men, including Brad Buxer, admitted to the Huffington Post that Michael Jackson didn't just work with them on a soundtrack for Sonic 3. They said the music that they created with him was in the final game. Buxer was actually working on the Sonic 3 soundtrack at the same time as Michael's Dangerous album and formed the team of composers in secrecy. He claims that Sega gave Michael Jackson a demo of the game and he took it from there and started making music for four weeks, creating over 40 tracks. The team was on track to return a massive soundtrack to Sega by that summer. But this is where the story takes an unexpectedly, expectedly dark turn. While Michael Jackson was working on the soundtrack for what is inarguably a game for children, he was also getting attention in the press for a very public friendship with a 13-year-old boy. Reports had been circulating for years about extravagant parties being held at his massive Neverland ranch, where dozens of children would be treated to carnival rides, candy, and sleepovers. 
But the story with this one boy took a dark turn on September 14th of 1993, when the boy's father sued Michael Jackson for allegedly sexually assaulting his son. It turned into a worldwide scandal. Michael Jackson canceled his world tour, companies like Pepsi dropped him from endorsement deals, and there was word that if the case went to court, Michael Jackson would be placed in front of a grand jury. Surprisingly, Michael Jackson's team of composers claimed that this didn't put a stop to their work at all. Brad Buxer even claims that there was pressure to finish the work as fast as possible. So in late summer 1993, Michael Jackson's team sent a finished soundtrack to Sega. And by February 2nd, 1994, Sega released Sonic 3. Michael Jackson's team of composers was credited, but Michael was not. The composers all told the Huffington Post that Michael Jackson pulled his name from the game on purpose, but not his music, which, given the scandal, isn't surprising. Except, they all say the child abuse allegations were not the reason. Apparently, Michael Jackson was disappointed by how different the music sounded on Sega's console when it was compressed from a more professional full-band recording to video game bleeps and bloops. To this day, Brad Buxer praises the blues who cracked this theory wide open, saying that many of the songs compared in theory videos share the same compositions for a reason, because they were based on music that Buxer created with Michael Jackson. But despite the Huffington Post article, the idea that Michael Jackson composed the Sonic 3 soundtrack remains surprisingly controversial. For instance, Reset Era conducted an interview with Sonic creator Naoto Oshima in 2018, who confirmed that Michael Jackson had sent Sega a beatboxing soundtrack demo for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. A new direction. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. A beatboxing demo. This was apparently, quote, a multi-track recording in which every track was hummed by Michael Jackson. But because of the child abuse allegations, the songs were not actually used in Sonic 3. Roger Hector, to this day, still insists that Jackson's songs are not in the game. To some extent, all of the people making these claims from Sega are correct. Michael Jackson's tracks were technically not in the game, because Howard Drossen was hired to rework them. But the sound team are also telling the truth when they say that Michael Jackson's music is in the game. Unfortunately, this all seems to boil down to an old-fashioned, boring legal distinction. Michael Jackson was not credited on Sonic 3, and he did not seek credit or compensation for his work. Therefore, formally, he did not work on Sonic 3. It's fascinating to me that there's still, to this very day, such a dedicated group of people looking into this, finding correlations between Michael Jackson's songs and different tracks from Sonic 3. I'm sure that there will be more comparisons made in years and years and years to come. Sure. It's a really, really, really interesting example, I guess, of a time when the internet like said something kind of crazy, like Michael Jackson worked on Sonic 3, the songs all sound the same, except it was just true. And it was real. It was true. And it was, it was true. real. Yeah, I honestly, going into this episode, I did not think there would be as much evidence as oh, there was, but it's true. It's real. It's factual, bestie. Don't sue me. Allegedly factual. IDK. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it seems for all intents and purposes that Michael Jackson wrote the soundtrack. Although I will say that it seems like even in the writing process, he kind of like added on to some of the compositions. Like a lot of the soundtrack mm. predated Michael Jackson's work on it in the yeah. first place. But the comparisons are fascinating. No, it's really, really interesting. And it's even more interesting that seemingly he pulled 
chord structures or even melodies that might sound like his actual music. I wonder if it was kind of supposed to be something where the person playing the game was like, oh yeah, that sounds like a famous Michael Jackson song. Or if it was just coincidence. Like, were we going to get know. Michael Jackson humming over Sonic? Sonic <laughs> 3? Like, was it going to be Sonic the Hedgehog 3 featuring Michael Jackson? Like, what was the marketing of this going to look like? Questions. And we'll never know. I mean, maybe one day, but like, right now we sure don't. In another timeline. Yep. We want to know what you guys think of today's episode. Have you played any Sonic games? Please tell us your favorite. And when you played Sonic 3, if you played Sonic 3, did you ever notice a resemblance between those tracks and Michael Jackson's music? Let us know all over social media by using hashtag gruesome twosome. We would love to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening. We are once again your hosts, Lobby and Eleanor, also known as the Gruesome Twosome, and we have loved this deep dive into the world of internet urban legends with all of you. You can find all episodes of the podcast, Internet Urban Legends, for free exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to follow the podcast so we can continue bringing you a new disturbing mystery each and every week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lowybug and at Snitchery and support our show by following at Parcast on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. Stay gruesome, friends. Internet Urban Legends is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler from Parcast, Slash Management, and Ed Simpson, Fanny Baudry, and Leah Sutherland from Wheelhouse DNA. Sound design by Ron Shapiro with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. It is produced by Jonathan Ratliff, Gemma Waters, John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Chelsea Parker, and is associate produced by Gitu Meira and Tracy Levy. Research and script writing provided by Judd Bookout. And we're your hosts, Loie Lane and Eleanor Barnes, a.k.a. The Gruesome Twosome. <laughs>